The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The big bounce back for stocks, how long it can last. The major averages now topping more key levels. We will discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Jim Labenthal, Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check the markets. There is green all around. There you go. S&P opened today above 4,600. The Dow is above 35,000. The Nasdaq run rolls on up 176 over 14.5. 10-year yield is at 241. A lot of positives today. The VIX is below 19. The ceasefire news out of Ukraine. Oil was below 100 bucks. Consumer confidence surprising. You do have the 210 spread, though. Pretty darn narrow. Five basis points. However, I turn to the man who doesn't want to be called Mr. All In anymore, even though I'm going to call him that, and I don't care what he says. Because on March 11th, he dared us that he was about to go back all in. He said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start buying stocks again. And you know what? The S&P is up 8% since then. Turned out to be a good call. Does it last? Who knows? However, of all the garbage I gave you, Jim Labenthal, that's a darn good call. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Scott. I appreciate that. That was very graciously done. But how are you always. feeling now, though? How are you feeling now? We've come a long way in a reasonably short period of time. And, yes, I, I went down a list of all the things that are working for us. For now. Yeah. You know, I, I want to start by just going back a month ago or so. I, I think what the market was telling when it started to rally, albeit that was about two weeks ago, was that the Russia-Ukraine thing was headed towards a stalemate. Consider the worst case output that Russia had steamrolled Ukraine, and now both Ukrainian industry and Russian industry is under sanctions. I think what the market has picked up over the last two weeks is that a stalemate will allow Ukrainian industry to get back on its feet. Now, I know I'm predicting a lot of future here, but what if two months from now, you've got neon gas coming back out of Ukraine and pig iron coming out of Ukraine? That's going to be positive for those commodities like semiconductors that rely on neon gas and steel that requires pig iron. Obviously, oil is going to be a problem for a long time. But if some of these commodity pressures can ease off, that can ease off inflation, it can get the Fed to maybe not be as aggressive as the market thinks, and that this growth slowdown will be exactly that, a growth slowdown at worst, maybe even a scare, not really even a slowdown. But ultimately, what the punchline is here, and this is what I'm saying, 
is the worst you're in here is a mid-cycle slowdown. You're not in some late cycle on the precipice of a recession, on the precipice of bear market situation. Maybe things get a little choppy from here, but the long-term outlook is very bright, particularly for this economy, Scott. Jobs are plentiful, industrial production, CapEx, productivity. Right. There's a lot of things to be positive about, and that's what the markets and I am focused on. So, Josh, on Friday, Kramer said the bear market was over, and we've noted this below-the-surface carnage, and it's been hard to ignore. But the more we go up, the further we go from the lows. The Dow is now 9% off of the lows. The S&P 500 is 12, the Nasdaq's 15.5, the Nasdaq 116, even the Russell is up 12. The obvious question is, is it all clear? Now, on Friday, you were on overtime with us, or Thursday, or whatever it was, and you said, I'm not so sure we're not going to retest the lows and possibly take them out. Now what? Well, I, I, I would say a couple of things. I agree with everything Jim said. The, the most important development is not what any particular Fed governor says or any economic data point. When you have the possibility of a ceasefire and, and the end of civilian casualties uh, in the news every night, and you see that pressure come out of things like wheat and oil and gas, not that prices are about to mean revert to pre-war, but just that edge coming off, I think it's the most helpful thing for the market. And you can see it, like when you look at the travel stocks, that's an obvious. But then even look at the autos. Why is GM up 5% today? Why is Ford up 6% today? They're not doing stock splits like Tesla. What's going on? It's just that general easing of some of the harshest of the inflationary uh, pressures that I think are really positive. Um, now combine that. Uh, you, you've got REITs screaming hot today. I'm in Simon Properties. Looks great. CB looks good. PSA looks good. Public storage. Um, that whole index is looking good. The airlines, I mentioned travel. Credit services bouncing. Visa, MasterCard. So it's very broad-based uh, in addition to all of the high-growth tech stocks that have up the most off of their lows. Arguably, they had the most to bounce because mm -hmm. they're down the most. But I want to point out Apple, another stock I'm long. Apple's coming off its best week since 2003. You literally have to go back two decades to find a week in which Apple is up 16% from the lows. And keep in mind, this was a tiny market cap in 2003. So this one is really meaningful. It matters for the Dow. Well, it's up 10 it straight days. It matters for the S&P 500. It's going for 11 straight That's right. days. It and was it's... at 150 two weeks ago. That's right. It's very, very meaningful to the markets. Not like spiritually, statistically. Apple is the thing that matters more than any other thing we could point to. And it's a dramatic move off the lows. And I think that needs to be respected along with all that other sector stuff that okay. I gave you. Um, so I, I wouldn't argue with anything that Jim had to say there, but I don't think that that means anything about what we're going to be dealing with in the second half. And I would not look at an incredible bear market rally and say that we could definitively say anything is, over, quote unquote, over. I, I get you. And I come back to you real quick before I, I move on. But I, I note the change in dialogue, the change in narrative a little bit from you, because when I asked you these same questions before, you led off um, multiple occasions with fears of Russia and Ukraine escalating into something possibly nuclear. 
You mentioned that multiple times. I didn't hear that out of you at all today. And as I said, the further you get from those lows, the harder maybe it is to keep building a potential negative case. The resiliency of this market is perhaps now its greatest asset. Prices, look, price is clearly telling you uh, that, that the worst may be over. I don't think you could argue with that. However, I would just point out this week we had an inversion of the five-year treasury and the 30-year treasury. Mm-hmm. The last time that happened was in 2006. Stocks continued to rally well into 07 and then went down 60% from their highs. So we should not interpret uh, uh, st- stock rallies uh, in any condensed period of time as being indicative of something larger uh, still to come. I've never in, in my lifetime seen the Fed be able to orchestrate a soft landing. Uh, I hope they'll be able to do it this time. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's uh, what, what historically uh, would be the best probability bet. So, and I'm not even saying recession this year, we have to have recession. I'm just saying, let's not just look at green on the screen for five, 10 days and say, okay, all the stuff that we used to care about doesn't matter. But Pete, I mean, tech, holy cow. Yeah. Uh, it's been on a tear. You told us, you told us many days ago, keep an eye on the options activity in these mega cap tech stocks. And we did. And they're up a lot. Goodness. I mean, the gain since the it's low for than, some of these names, Apple yeah. 18, Amazon 27, Meta 23, Microsoft 16. Yeah, it's been incredible, Scott. I mean, the, the momentum of what we're seeing right now and the options obviously giving us a lot of the indications of what we are witnessing right now has been exactly dead on. It's been incredible. And a lot of the time the producers will say, hey, have you been buying stock? You know, especially when we had volatility higher. The answer was no, because we're getting so much bang for our buck when we're seeing what's going on in the options world. Just a week or two ago, the, the, the stocks you're referring to right now, they were buying 21,000 of the 170 calls up in uh, – in Apple. They were buying the 175s, 29,000 of those. They bought 55,000 of the 165s. Gives you a little bit of an idea over the last week and a half or so what's been going on in the derivatives world, and they've been so right, like you were just uh, pointing out, Scott. It's, it's amazing. Meta is another great one. When you look in the last couple of weeks and you look at Meta trading underneath 200, started to slide up towards 210, and now here we are pushing what? 225, something like that. They're buying 225s. The volumes continue to come in those names. Apple continues to be almost every day's leader in terms of volume and throw in Microsoft as well. you got Microsoft. They've been buying five and 10,000 options at a clip each time that they've come in there. And all it's done is gone higher. So I think there's been great opportunities. And a lot of that pointed out to us through the volatility of what we're seeing in these uh, the derivatives world. And it's been incredible, Scott. I, have, I just counted it as I was listening to Josh. I have 68 different positions on right now in the options world. So it, it gives you a little bit of an idea. A normal position for me on a Monday or a Tuesday morning, probably closer to about 35 or 40. So it gives you an idea of just how unbelievable this has been on this run. And percentage-wise, when you look at what some of these numbers are looking like, it's astronomical. I'm buying something in the morning. I'm selling it in the afternoon. Mm. I'm not a day trader. I really am not. I'm a trader who buys options. When I see that unusual option activity, I follow in, and I oftentimes have to sit back and wait and be patient and wait for that next move and, and, and see if it happens. That's not the markets that we're in right now. Now we are seeing markets that are moving within hours, days. It's not taking weeks any longer, and they continue to come in. We did see a little bit of a pullback in terms of volume. We've been averaging about 42 million for the year so far. 
Right now in March, we're averaging about 40 million. Yesterday, we were closer to 36 million. <coughs> so a little bit lighter in the last couple of trading days. Now I'm just going to suggest, I mean, this is going to be one hell of a head fake if, if we all buy into this now and suggest that everything's mm -hmm. great. And then you have a, a big rollover. All right, the Linkster. What's the most important <laughs> thing you're watching, Steph? Oh, there's so many things, Scott. Um, first and foremost, I do not think we're out of the woods. I think this year is going to be volatile, and I think it's going to be a choppy and a trading range at best. If we get resolution on the war, that's fabulous, right? But we still have to deal with inflation, and it's rampant. It's everywhere. And, and we get the PCE uh, deflator on Thursday. In the non-farm payroll numbers on Friday, we get the wage numbers. Those are very; those are the two things that if you, if you, if, uh, if I could tell you, are I'm focused on um, because inflation is everywhere, and I don't think the Fed can do anything really um, to change that. Even if they did eight hikes this year, which is what the bond market is pricing in, I just don't think that that's going to mean anything to inflation. So we have to watch well, that. Um, that being said. The, what happens if they get said, help? The, the la right? What happens if the Fed gets a little help? I mean, I'm talking like commodities. Well, maybe commodities have topped out. They, That'll be a big help. It's supplied. It's it could be a help. And supply chains getting fixed could be a big help. And let's listen to what Micron has to say tonight after the close in overtime. about supply chains. But in overtime, <laughs> there you go. Um, so let's listen to what they have to say, because that's going to be a very big report, a very big tell. That's certainly going to help inflation, uh, cons uh, the concerns that I have. But I'm still very worried about the wage numbers going up a lot. 5.5% is the number for average hourly earnings annualized for Friday. So watch that number. It's good for the consumer. It's bad for corporate America, right? So um, uh, that's the one thing. Rents, rents are going much higher. Um, you know, you look at the home prices, and they're up. Kay Schiller today was up 19.1%. We know rents follow home prices by a year. So rents are going up. Those two pieces I've been talking about for over a year, how sticky they are. And so that's why I am concerned that inflation isn't going to go away. And I don't think the Fed, with eight hikes, maybe he, they have to do a lot more than eight hikes, but that'll really slow the economy down. So what I think is really sort of interesting, though, in the last two weeks, and then what we have been seeing, is really more of a rotation into growth versus value, right? And I, and I think you're going to continue to see rotations throughout the year. The Russell 1000 growth has outperformed the Russell 1000 value in the last two weeks alone by 700 basis points. So, and a lot of momentum stocks are in the growth indexes, as we know. Of course. Um, and I think it's a function of, of and, and I think it's a function of us being oversold, that sector, those sectors being oversold, growth in general as well. Um, it's also recession fears. You know I'm not in that camp, but if we go into a recession, you're going to want to own more growth kinds of names. And I think it's mean reversion well, because at know. one point this year, value outperformed. You just well, said, well, no, well, hold wait, on, hold on, hold on. You just said, you know I'm not in that camp. I mean, you sure sounded like you were camping because, I mean, you painted a whole scenario no, in, in which the Fed was going to have to raise rates so many times and inflation was so out of control. How do you think they're going to be able to pull it all off? How can you make that case and then suggest, well, you know, I'm not in the recession camp? Well, I'm not in the recession camp for 2022, for sure. 
There are a lot, well, there's a lot that can happen between now and 2023. I do not think we're going to be into a recession, but we have no idea how the Fed is going to get out of this. And they sounded hawkish, really hawkish last week, much more so that the, the market kind of blew off. To be honest, I was surprised. Mm-hmm. But we'll have to see what they do. We'll ha- but, but they have to get inflation under control, and I think they can't get it totally under control. That being said, there is a lot of momentum in the, in the economy, right? So I think from all of the fiscal and monetary policy that we put it in place over the last two years. That's not just going to go away, even though they stop or they, they start to deteriorate uh, those programs. So my point is, I'm not in the recession camp. I am in the slowing growth camp. I still think you can grow about 3% for 2022. We'll have to see about 23. But my point about talking about growth and the rotation growth into growth from value, I think some of it is because they got oversold. Some of it is this re- recession fears. And then some of it is mean reversion. At one point this year, value outperformed growth by 1,200 basis points. Value is still outperforming growth but by 700 basis points. So that spread is narrowing. That's, this, all of this are reasons why I have been balancing out my portfolio. I mean, you know, all last year I was more cyclical value reopen. Mm-hmm. I got as much as 80% of my portfolio in those sectors last year. This year, I'm now about 60-40 into, into cyclicals and reopens and value still there. I still like those valuations especially, but I, am at, I, am, I have been adding to more growth positions. You know I've talked about Apple. You know I've talked about Facebook. Mm-hmm. Expedia is also one. We're going to talk about another stock that I was buying later in the show. So I, I just feel like there's, th- this is the year not to have big bets sector-wise and to be more balanced. Well, to, I mean, on, on your note, you know, about growth and momentum, Farmer Jim, ARC is up eight of the last 11 days. It's back above 70. If we can put up the ARKK, that's the innovation fund. There it is. It's back above 70 for the first time since the 1st of March. It's back above its 50-day moving average. That gives you an idea of how much momentum names, the likes of which Steph is talking about, have come back. Those are not momentum names. Those well, are not I momentum mean, names. All right, whatever. Growth. Those are the opposite growth. of moment. Those are the opposite growth. of momentum. Growth. I meant growth. I meant growth. <laughs> Your Honor, I hereby strike the record. Okay. There. See, we're, we, okay. we took care of that right, right now. All right. Meme but, stocks but, are back. Okay. Hold, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Meme stocks are back. Okay. Robinhood is is going crazy. Farmer Jim. Before I, Josh takes the pulpit and does his thing. Please. What? Let me let me give a piece of advice here. If if we're going to dance with the idea that maybe this is just a cyclical rally in something that's a bear market, if we're going to dance with that, you know, I don't believe it. Okay, but maybe the ARC stocks are not now the place to go. If you want to buy Apple here, if you want to buy my cyclicals and you know what they are, I don't think you get too badly beat up. If this is just a cyclical bull rally in a secular bear market, again, I don't think that's the case. I just what I'm trying to say here is I think if you're buying the ARC stocks now after the rally that you've seen, to me, you're taking on too much risk. Now, I will be honest and say I did not add to Twilio or PayPal or Salesforce. And in that regard, I'm wrong. But I've added other stocks that have done no, very I, well so I can live with myself. But I, I, I don't think this is where you're supposed to buy right now. No, and I, I, I don't even think I was trying to initiate that kind of conversation. I think, Josh, it was more like if you if you want to look at what's emblematic of this move now, it's the fact that ARC is way back. Meme stocks are raging. Bitcoin's doing its thing. You, you get where I'm coming from. 
I 100% do. Ask yourself, do you think any of that is really sustainable? Or were there just too many people too bearish pressing short bets that had worked spectacularly, overstaying the party to the downside? And did some of that pressure have to come off? Robin Hood's rally is remarkable, but only because of how low it got to. This, this was a, a $10 stock very recently, but it was 70 okay? Uh, and, a, and a lot of people were looking for that to be a single-digit uh, uh, name. So you have to, like, think about the context. I think Robinhood and Coinbase are rallying in tandem primarily because of what's going on with Bitcoin. That is the most money both of those companies make is trading crypto. Robinhood barely makes money on equity trading. And the few equities it does make trading happen to be AMC and GameStop just because of the sheer amount of value and the sheer lack of knowledge of the people uh, transacting in those trades up against Citadel. So, yes, this past week or two, those stocks should be rallying. But let's not act like that's the primary trend. That's counter trend. The big picture trend is not doing more of what worked in 2021 with your fingers crossed. Doesn't mean there aren't opportunities when those areas get oversold. I get it. It's a function of time frame. Not everybody is equipped to do five and 10 day swing trades while they're trying to work a full time job and raise a family. So you have to know who you are as an investor before you decide which weapon you want to pick up and, and, and try to fire. But here's the bigger picture. Yeah. The Fed has no idea what its end game is. None. They use the, they, they use these terms. I mean, it's it's almost astonishing that we're still taking um, dot plots and forecasts at face value. They talk about things like, uh, quote, moderate overshoot of the target. Does anyone know what moderate means in that in, in that case? Probably not. Yeah. They talk about their goal being a broad and inclusive labor market. Well, what what the hell does that mean? Is there any number attached to that? So really, we're in this place where the market has already tightened for them. You, you got you got a, a 30 year treasury at two and a half percent and inflation at eight percent. Never happened in history. And we know one thing for sure. The cost of everything, including money, right. is going in let one me, direction between now and the end of this year. Let me interrupt you for I know. And, and on that note and on that note, let, let me can we throw up the uh, the 210 spread, uh, guys, because as, as our Liz Young. Not good, Judge. Uh, what? As our, well, I'm going to tell you right now. It's not good. <laughs> uh, it's about to invert. I mean, you're at two basis points. The spread between the two year Treasury and the 10 year Treasury uh, has there it is uh, right there which could literally happen as we're having this conversation. It was about five a couple hours ago, and here you are now. So, you know, Steph, that's going to be the dominant narrative, is that when you get an inversion of the curve, this particular part of the curve, it's only a matter of time before you get a recession. Now, it doesn't happen in two months. It doesn't typically happen in five months or, or eight months. It takes a long time, I think 18 months. That's why I wanted you to clarify when you said you're not in the recession camp. It's very easy for us to have a conversation and say, oh, are we going to have a recession? Well, the inversion of the curve doesn't mean you're going to have a recession tomorrow. And it's important to let viewers know exactly what we're talking about. You could still have a recession. It just might not be for a year. It could be 14. It could be 16. It could be could 18 be months. But that is an important thing to yeah. watch, what's on your screen right now. Guys, maybe in the back we can get uh, Santelli or Leisman as well. Um, but, but, th that's what we, Scott, I think, want to do. Scott, that was the whole, 
But, Scott, that was the whole reason why I said I think you're going to have a choppy market this year. Mm -hmm. Because we have so many unknowns and we, because we have so many uncertainties, let's just put the war aside. And that's a big thing to put aside. And I'm not really willing to do that. But let's just say, OK, absent the war, then you have this inflation problem. And I don't care if commodities roll over and, you know, and, and the supply chains get fixed. Supply chains are not getting fixed this year. They're just not. That's a 2023 thing. Ask any CEO you talk, that I talk to anyway. Ask anyone. But that's why I said, listen to what Micron says tonight, because that's going to be a big deal. But anyhow, so if commodities give you a break and supply chains don't get fixed, though, until second half 22 or into 23, then you still have high elevated inflation and you still have problems with wages and wages. with rents and home prices are off the charts. So that's why I said in the beginning, it's going to be a choppy year. We're going to have some great moments when, where, where growth is now outperforming value. We're going to have some great moments when value outperforms growth. But I don't think the market as a whole can go much higher than here. I think you're in a trading range. And yes, I do not think we're going into a recession this year. But I think at some point next year, we're going to have to watch the data. I have said it a long time that the Fed should raise rates four times and then watch the data. Now they're talking more than that. And the bond market is pricing in seven to eight times. So we'll have to see. But we don't have, they don't know how to get out so, of this right now. I and I think... That's a problem. And that's going to be sentiment wise. That's going to be a problem for yeah, the markets. No, that's no why doubt. multiples are where they are. They've contracted. Bear with me, Steph. Oh, hang on a second. Uh, Leesman's on the phone. Uh, Steve Leesman is our senior economics reporter. Uh, as we watch this two basis points, the two year, 10 year spread, Stephen, even though we've had a conversation very recently about whether that's the best place along the curve to look for signals of a recession, it's going to be the dominant headline and the conversation. Yeah, almost certainly. You have to watch it. Um, uh, as I, we talked about last week, the uh, Fed and several economists like to watch the near-term three-month to two-year spread. They think that's a better indicator because markets are taking bets on near-term outcomes. And they're a little confused as to why the 2 and the 10 itself would be expressing uh, what the market thinks about the near-term outcome, given that they're 2 and 10 years away. But you have to watch all parts of the curve. Um, and the idea is, I think, filtering in that the Fed Maybe doing an awful lot here, Scott, uh, and I think that's really the, uh, the 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 considered opinion of the market. There's, I think, when I looked early this morning, there were eight more rate hikes built in and a couple fifties, and um, you know the market seems to be uh, uh, taking that. I think the Fed right here, Scott, is going to take what the market gives it. I mean, you say you know that this is the 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 market reading the Fed doing doing a lot. The question is, Steve, whether it becomes too much. I think that's right. I think I heard Stephanie talking about this idea of the Fed, you know, taking a look around after four hikes, and it's still going to do that. I mean, I don't think there, there is no autopilot here. I would give anybody, um, I, I guess I'd give three to one odds. Uh, you'd have to pay me three bucks, but I don't think uh, Powell's going to say automatic pilot at all. There is no automatic pilot. But I think he sees, I think, the general view here is the Fed has to get to neutral and wants to get to neutral relatively quickly. So, I think it's not going to really look a whole lot around until it gets to around 2%. I think that's, you know, one, one and three quarters, 2%. It needs to get there and get there relatively expeditiously. And then it will look around as to whether or if it has to go further than what it considers to be the neutral rate. How, how does the Fed view, I don't know if this is a silly question or not, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, how does the Fed view... Uh, the 210 spread and what's happening along the curve will at the same time the stock market is rallying. Um, I think it is trying to take, Scott, 
a broad view of financial conditions. It doesn't look at any single point in the curve. It doesn't look at any single indicator. There are folks out there, there's the Larry Summers point of view that says, hey, you've got to bring the uh, funds rate up above, the real funds rate up above neutral or at least to zero. So depending upon what your inflation rate is, if you say, hey, we're going to get inflation down to three, that means a 3% funds rate to get it at least to zero. And, and they argue that that's what you need to do before your stimulate. But I think the Fed looks across a broad spectrum of spreads, for example, Look at the widening of spreads in the mortgage market. The Federal Reserve considers that to be tightening. Look at the sell-off, not just, I think, in the NASDAQ as an average or a composite, but some of the higher um, uh, uh, beta names, high, higher PE names that were out there. Some of those stocks are off 40%. The Fed would view that as financial tightening. I think the Fed is looking for financial tightening to ease and slow the economy. And honestly, it's looking at the extent to which this economy ends up in a soft landing or the possibility of a recession. I don't think... They would rule that out at this point, but I think that they're doing what they need, what they believe they need to do, which is to fight inflation and kind of deal with potential economic outcomes on the backside you of could, that. You could read the activity in the stock market. I guess the Fed could and say, see, we're, it's working. We're, we're, we're speaking loud and clear, and, you know, it's, it, the market is okay with, with what we're doing because look at what stock prices have yeah, we, done we, we from the bottom. We, We've talked about that a lot, which is what the Fed is looking for from the stock market. The, the big concern, I think, of somebody like Jay Powell is that he doesn't come in in the morning and the market is gapped down 5,000 points. But if he comes in on a 30 or 40 days later and the market is down 10% or 15%, it has done so in an orderly way, and that's the market's considered opinion as to where stock values ought to be relative to the outlook for the economy, earnings, and the funds rate, then he's going to be fine with that. And uh, he, the idea that the market has rallied since then, I think he probably raises an eyebrow and says, hmm, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. Um, but I don't think that's something that's going to, and I think that's something that probably encourages him, hey, I'm okay here with what I've laid out. I mean, you know, the Fed could hike eight or nine times this year, Scott. It's not a crazy idea. Where would that put you? Uh, at, uh, you know, uh, what would that be, 175 or even even two percentage points? You, you could be at two the, the before I, I had this call, Scott, I looked earlier this morning, not, not, not in the mid-morning, but the December Fed Fund Futures was trading at 234. So you do the math from 0.37, that's 200 basis points of additional tightening. And hey, like I've said 100 times, you guys are already living with that. Look at the change in the two-year from when Powell pivoted in November. You are up. There is 200 basis points of tightening already in the market. When Stephanie comes into the office and decides what to invest in, she's already dealing with the two, uh, 200 basis points two year in the economy right now. Josh Brown has a question for you. And maybe, Josh, one of the reasons why you are reticent to say that it's all clear and the worst is over is because of what you are looking at on the screen right now, which, as I was saying it, you were saying not good, not good. It's not it's not great. Uh, uh, Camp, I've had Campbell Harvey on, on my podcast a couple of times, and uh, every time I say, all right, this time will be different, it ends up not, it ends up not being different. <laughs> and uh, this one won't be different either. But, Scott, you made an important point about the distance between the inversion and the actual recession being all over the map. I think that's important. Uh, Leesman, can we talk about financial conditions tightening? To me, this is the single biggest story and the most important thing for people to pay attention to. Um, 
We just saw Instacart in the private market, which I know the Fed is not shedding any tears over, uh, have its valuation go from 40 to 24 billion seemingly overnight. That seems like a big deal. That's one of the biggest unicorns on the globe right now, uh, a yet-to-be-public massive uh, venture deal, where I'm guessing the fundamentals have not only not changed but have only gotten better. Um, but people looking at the fact that we had a two-week IPO drought uh, in, in the markets and valuations all over the place, even in growth, have to be rethought. I also wanted to throw in commercial mortgage-backed securities. There's a big story at Axios about the first cracks in the office. Uh, real estate markets starting to appear you just have these areas that historically, when they've gotten stressed, we've blown, we've, we've blown past it and said, ah, well, who cares about that, that end up being really significant for the bigger economy eventually. How much of this stuff is entering into the radar screen uh, at the Fed, like away from the S&P and the yield curve? Are they looking to these funding markets, leverage loans, venture? Is this stuff important to them? So they looked, I, I think, uh, the great questions, obviously, Josh. Um, I, my, my take would be they look to these things uh, for tightening of financial conditions in the first approximation. The next thing they want to know, Josh, is the extent to which this, sh- this stuff shows up in the real economy. Does this company losing its funding or having its valuation cut in half create less hiring? Does it create less investment? Does it create less demand for goods? I think that's what they're looking for. And I think it will. I think it's very, it's an interesting story that I'm actually working on. You're forcing me to talk about it now. But one of the things that's fascinating is the extent to which the Fed is supposed to have this impact on the real and sort of industrial economy, right? Like housing and autos. And what you're pointing out, Josh, is a fascinating story. The extent to which the Federal Reserve and its policy may be having among the most profound effects inside of technology and tech. And you have a guy that he was going for his Series B funding, or he was going to go to the IPO market, and all of a sudden what's happened with the Federal Reserve has cut that off. You could be having a profound effect of Fed policy in just the place you wouldn't expect it, which is in the tech explosion. And the question becomes, does that move over into the real economy? And the separate answer to that, I'll keep the second part of this really quick, is when you talk about blowing up of these sort of derivatives, the Fed will be very concerned about that if it creates disorderly or systemic problems in, in with liquidity. And Leisman, let's be clear, too. Um, an inverted part of the yield curve doesn't always mean a recession, but you've never had a recession without the yield curve inverting. Yeah, th- that's right. And I think you were also talking earlier about the distance, right? Um, I want to hear what these guys on your terrific committee say when I tell you that you could have a recession six months from the inversion or 24 months from the inversion, and you could probably have double-digit gains in the time between the inversion and the actual recession. Um, and by the way, uh, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it. you have to have the inversion for a recession, but it doesn't mean an inversion leads to a recession. And by the way, you have to be negative. The, 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 the positive, too, doesn't work. My point also is, Pete, you know, for, for somebody who looks at parts of the market the way you do, um, if this part of the curve does invert, and we, we're talking about all these catalysts, right? And I mentioned that tweet yeah. uh, on Friday evening from Lloyd Blankfein, who, you know, sort of marveled at the fact that you've had all of these things in front of the market and not a single one of them or, or collectively, it wasn't enough to 
to derail this move in the market. And he ended his tweet with kind of bullish. And at least for the for, for, for the here and now, the market has been able to look past a lot of the risks in front of it. If you start, if you get an inversion of the yield curve, is that a game changer in and of itself for the way people are going to think about this rally? And, and that maybe is the, the thing that that has the most uh, to say about whether this can continue or not. Sure, Scott, but I think that the issue be, still remains at what time frame, right? I mean, Stephanie was just talking about it. She's, she's looking at this and thinking, well, is it six months? Is it 16 months? Is it two years? What is it? I think that is obviously the key element here when we're talking about this and, and, and when we get there. Because as of right now, it's just been the, the environment we've had and the volatility and velocity of these moves, as we document almost daily when we come on here, well, let me has ask been you pretty this. incredible. I mean, let, just, let me interrupt you for yeah, a second, though. What, what I guess my point is more, you know, who knows where down the road if you're going to have a recession. The fact is, to a lot of people, if the curve inverts, you're on the clock, so to speak. Right. Yes. So if that starts mm-hmm. dominating, Pete, the narrative uh, more so than the incredible rally that we've had in stocks and then one becomes unable to handle the weight of that being the stock market, mm-hmm. unable to, to handle the weight of are we now on recession watch? And that's the thing that ends what has been a dramatically uh, a dramatic and incredible move from those lows. Well, it's partially why I think that you're, you're hearing from a lot of the panelists right now today about the cautiousness of what we're seeing in front of us right now, because we've all been watching that. It's been it's been sliding closer and closer and closer to this inversion. And obviously, Steve's been all over this thing as well. So, you know, as we've watched that, Scott, I think that's just one more element. We talk about all these different catalysts, whether you want to talk about the war, you wouldn't want to talk about the Fed and what they're having to do, inflation, this inversion that we're seeing, all of that. These are all catalysts that we all are very well aware of. But when we start to see something actually fulfill what we, we've seen in the past and, and does give us that bit of a roadmap, in terms of time frame, that's the one road, roadmap we don't have. We know that it's, it's something that generally we're gonna, it's going to follow along, Scott, but we can go for a while even with that as a backdrop before we actually start to get yeah. to that point. And that, that, I think, is what Stephanie's saying, and I think that's what Josh is saying as well. So I, and I would agree with both of them. All right. Let's do this. Um, Leesman, let me let you go. Uh, Yo, go. You have a last comment? I wanted, I wanted to push back just a little bit on what Josh was saying. Um, and I know what he's saying in terms of there's a trail of tears among those who say it's going to be different this time. I mean, if he could find me the example of the war in Ukraine coming out of a pandemic, uh, inflation is, is as high as it is. I just feel like there's plenty of reasons for uncertainty about the, in, the, the outcome here and and a belief that, hey, it could be different this time because we've just never been through what we're going through now from the macro factors affecting the economy. All right, we'll put that last button uh, button point on it. Uh, Steve, thank you. Thanks for thank coming you. to the phone. That's our Steve Leisman. We're back. We do have some trades to talk about. You see Cleveland Cliffs today. I know Jim Labenthal did. We're going to talk about that, among other things, when we come back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises.
B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I'm Seema Modi, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The BA2 version of Omicron is now the dominant COVID variant in the U.S., according to the CDC. A resurgence of COVID cases in parts of Asia and Europe is raising concerns that another wave could follow in the U.S., although health experts believe that is unlikely. The Biden administration will offer COVID vaccines to migrants taken into custody at the U.S.-Mexico border. The Department of Homeland Security will be able to initially provide over 2,500 vaccines per day with that number increasing to 6,000 by the end of May. Tune in to the news with Shepard Smith tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, for more on Biden's decision to roll out vaccines at the border. And at least three people are dead as officials continue to clear out the 50-vehicle crash that occurred yesterday on a Pennsylvania highway. The fiery car pileup sent 20 others to the hospital with injuries amid the hazardous conditions from a sudden snow squall. Will Smith has issued a formal apology for striking presenter Chris Rock at Sunday's Academy Awards. In a post on Instagram, Smith called his behavior unacceptable and inexcusable. This comes after the Academy condemned his actions and opened an investigation into the matter. Scott, back to you. Right, Seema, appreciate that, Seema Modi. All right, let's talk more about this commodity trade today. Oil had briefly dipped below $100 a barrel. Let's show shares of Cleveland Cliffs. Jim Labenthal, you had to figure that we were going to discuss this today. Uh, Cliffs was down almost 10 percent, if not more than that, early on. Um, You begin to wonder, I mean, how closely this is tied to the direction of oil and commodities. And if if commodities themselves are topping out, if Cleveland Cliffs has as well. Yeah, so great questions. I appreciate you bringing it up. It saves me a lot of tweets later on. Um, Specific to Cleveland Cliffs before we do the commodities in general, I think one has to ask oneself, are we late in this economic cycle or are we still near the middle? I think my answer is obvious from the earlier comments I made that we're still in the middle. At worst, we're getting a, a growth slowdown here. And frankly, I think it might just be a scare. Um, Cleveland Cliffs. Okay, look, the analysts still have five billion in EBITDA for this year. Guess what? They did six hundred million of EBITDA in the first month of this year, and February and March are going to be a lot higher based on price increases out of Ukraine, out of the Ukraine mess. So I just think the analysts are way behind on this. That's specific to Cleveland. Now, to the commodity space in general. 
Uh, I look at the economy. I see factories being built. I see infrastructure. I see jobs plentiful. And the one thing that's missing that would have me worried is some sign of overinvestment anywhere. We haven't had a Y2K boom. We haven't had a housing boom. I just don't see the overinvestment that would lead me to think that Cleveland Cliffs or the commodities in general are going to fall off a cliff, no pun intended. I do want to point out one final comment that, you know, I wake up every morning and I go to sleep every night thinking about Cleveland Cliffs. Yes, that is my life. Because, because, do you think I want to <laughs> give Doctor Evil for a, a baseball there. bat to hit me over the head with? I, I don't. I can't have that happen. Yeah, I understand. But in, in all seriousness, I mean, you got to figure the economy is going to slow from from where it was and, and where it. Don't you put know, that in your dating and, uh, and, profile. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> uh, and where it is as he tries to uh, get back on track. Um, and as the situation in. Russia, Ukraine, if there is a positive resolution to that, you got to believe that oil prices may not see those highest levels. Cleveland Cliffs is up better than 50 percent, Jim, in three months. What is the real reason to believe that it doesn't revert somewhere back to whatever you think was normal before this incredible environment that goosed the stock existed? Yeah, I, listen, it's the right question to ask. The analysts right now, as I said, see, see $5 billion this year in EBITDA going down to $3 billion next year and $2 billion the year after that. That's fundamentally where I disagree. You look at all these factories being built. You look at the pent-up demand for cars. You look at infrastructure. You look at the rebuilding that's going to go on in Europe when this mess is done, and there will be rebuilding. There's going to need to be a Marshall Plan going on. All that supply chain onshoring, I just don't see the drop off in steel demand and I don't see the overinvestment that would have led to the drop. off. Are you in saying it's, it should it be it's up 40 percent in a month? Is that is that you think that's justified? Uh, I do. I actually do. And the reason I say that, Scott, is because two weeks ago and I talked about this to you two weeks ago, they said that their January EBITDA was five hundred eighty eight million. That number is a blow the doors off number. And that's before Ukraine. That's before steel prices started to rise and you had this, the uh, curtailing of supply from, from Eastern Europe. I do think it's, it's justified. Now, a wow. 6% pullback today, it's going to happen. On that March to 40, it's not going to go up in a straight line. But you've got to buckle your seatbelt and stay with it. All right. Uh, we'll certainly keep our eyes on that one. And look, I mean, top of the show, I tell you how great you are. And 45 minutes in, I, I got to put you on your heels a little bit. Uh, <laughs> We're about two basis points, uh, the spread on the two and 10 year uh, Treasury notes, closely watching that to see if it does invert as we worry about a recession and what the message of that chart is right there. We're back right after this as we stay on the story, as we've seen that narrow even more as we've been on the air. Stocks have fallen off their best levels of the day. We're back after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, 
Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, let's do unusual activity now. Pete, tell us what you see today. All right, I'm going to highlight AMD, and I know we talk about this one frequently, Scott, but it hits very frequently. As a matter of fact, last week they bought 50,000 of the 120 calls. This week they're buying 25,000 of the 125 calls that expire on Friday, paying about 87 cents, a little over a dollar for those calls. Pretty big trade. Anytime I see those trades, they've been right very frequently. I'm going to follow along with that. Secondly, I've got Lucid. Now, Lucid's another one where it hits once in a while with some really large trades. Today, they bought 31,000 of the April 1st expiring 30 strike calls. Stock was trading right around 26 at the time. So these are very inexpensive calls. But nonetheless, there's a pretty decent investment going into these. Lastly, I'm just going to update Snowflake. Snowflake, we had a lot of buying over the last couple of weeks. We've seen a lot of huge runs. As a matter of fact, stock was 181 not too terribly long ago. Today, it's having another great day. I am now exiting and out of that snowflake, the calls that I owned. I was not in the stock. I was in the calls. Okay, good stuff. Thank you. We'll take a quick break. Then we'll tell you about that new buy for Stephanie Link, or she's buying more of something. We'll tell you what next. All right, welcome back. We continue to call your attention to the spread between the two-year note and the 10-year note has narrowed within two or tightened within two basis points. Uh, it has been a key indication uh, in the past of recession. As I told you earlier, you have not had a recession uh, without that part of the yield curve inverting. It last inverted in 2019. We did have a recession, as you know, in 2020. Of course, that was due to the pandemic and who could have seen that coming. But it's something uh, that's incredibly important to keep your eye on. Uh, this is the tightest uh, it's been. There you go. That's the highest level uh, for the two years since 2019 uh, of March. Steph, I know you're going to be watching this closely, yes. and I can only wonder uh, what your thought is going to be if the headline changes from that spread has tightened uh, to those levels to it actually inverting. Look, it's worth watching, but I think that we have time before a recession comes. I mean, it's really hard to imagine a recession is coming near term, three months, six months, when you have a, a jolts number at 11 million. When you have confidence, actually, that was better than expected. When you have home prices up 19 percent, we got some pretty good data this week so far. We've got a lot more data to go. So I'm going to be data dependent for sure. I'm watching the yield curve. We all are. That's one of the reasons why I'm more balanced in my portfolio. I do not want to take big sector bets. Not right now. I got to tell you, I mean, you know, for all intents and purposes, stocks holding up pretty well, right? I said they were off their best levels. You saw the Dow uh, was up below 100 points. I barely got those words out of my mouth, and the Dow was back up 145. Um, the S&P is, is basically at 4,600. The Dow is above 35,000. Josh, uh, a thought from you as we watch that key part of the yield curve? I, look, I, I think... The, the, the thing that people should study now and, and understand if this is all like new terminology to them or a new concept is why? Like, wh why does this mysterious indicator have so much meaning to longtime market participants? And if you think about a bank that uh, essentially is, is borrowing short, lending long, so paying depositors today and making loans that are five years out, 10 years out, why would they continue that activity 
if they're going to make no money or even lose money on those transactions, meaning if we get to a point where the two-year is higher than the 10-year yield, what, what economic benefit would there be for that kind of lending activity to continue? And when lending activity grinds to a halt, historically, it's either because people feel the environment's getting worse or it's the thing that actually causes the environment to get worse. But either way, it doesn't end well. So that's why we're, we're talking about this and fixating on it. It's not a kill switch. The economy could be fine for a long time after. It's about people's expectations for the intermediate term, not the short term. And I think we just have to establish that for the viewers so nobody does something stupid no, with their portfolio. I'm glad today. you pointed all that out. That, that was well said. Um, and we were about 13. Uh, well, we're, I'm sorry, we're in uh, within uh, two basis points. Uh, Steph, before we run out of time, I want to get that trade, and it's Fortinet you've been adding to. Yeah, I have been adding to it. You know, I initiated a position when the stock fell 16% year-to-date a couple of weeks ago, and I continue to add. I want to make it a big bet. The uh, network firewall, uh, total addressable in the market, is going to be $24 billion by 2030. I want to be involved. These guys had gr- a great earnings report in terms of revenues, bookings, billings, and they guided higher across the board. So they have an analyst day on the 10th of May, and I think that's going to be a catalyst. I think they, uh, they jack up their operating margin expectations. This, this issue, too, with the yield curve and what Josh uh, what I thought so eloquently explained, um, why own bank stocks if you're in this predicament with the yield curve, if you want to call it that? And it goes to what Mike Wilson said uh, yesterday that, you know, you don't want to be in the banks if you're going to have a, an inversion of the yield curve and a possible recession down the road. You own some banks. I do own some banks, and I've been adding to banks because I think the valuations are very attractive and the capital allocation stories are really very attractive. Dividends are also really attractive, so I like that. You do need a yield curve to be steeper, for sure. But those companies that have exposure to deposits, um, Bank of America has a tr- uh, trillion dollars in deposits, so they will benefit from the, from the short end going higher. And they also are very diversified in wealth management and also in investment banking. And, uh, and we had a pretty good report from Jeffries last night, so I feel good about the trends right now. And I, I like the valuations. Pete, I mean, you're threatening to go within one basis point here, the spread between the two and 10. You own bank stocks, too. Can you make a credible case that you want to own them can, now in this environment? Well, I would I would piggyback on what Steph just said about Bank of America specifically. I mean, that's one of the names I'd, I'd point out. I'd also go with uh, Wells Fargo. But, you know, there are wealth management sides of it as well. There's a lot of different elements. It's not just all about loans and so forth. We do talk about loans all the time and loan growth. Trading. but. The price to book, they get to, they get to a point where I think that the price to book, they are still very incredibly in, in, inexpensive and gives you an opportunity. And, Scott, we've, we're in an environment here where, to, de- to Steph's point, if we can get a little bit of a yield out of this thing and then create a yield by selling calls, we talk about that all the time, it's a pretty safe place to be when, when you're looking at a lot of different volatility throughout the rest of the market. I, I feel you on that. I mean, and that's a more intricate way of, of trying to make some money in this trade of Jim Labenthal owning these stocks outright may not be so good in, in this kind of an environment, especially if you're now going to be on some sort of recession watch. Yeah, I, but I, I do want to stress the point that Josh made that the recession may be a far ways off. And just to accent that point, we're two weeks out from the first rate hike. You know, traditionally, the markets have rallied for a couple of years after the first rate hike. But to your point, look, the flat yield curve is not good. 
it's not good. But you know what is good? Credit losses are going down. And the reason they're going down is because jobs are plentiful. Balance sheets are very strong on the banks, on the consumers, on corporations. It may be something that the banks can get through this flat yield curve. Give me your final trade, uh, Jim, if you would, please. Paramount. I think it's the winner in the streaming wars, and I think the market's realizing that. Okay. Stephanie Link. United Healthcare, best in class managed care company. I love this deal that they bought today. Yeah, a day when uh, Dubravko Lakos over JP Morgan has very positive things to say about uh, the healthcare trade moving forward. Josh Brown. Don't tell anyone, but it looks like a breakout in progress on Dutch Bros. Uh, stocks breaking above 60, which it's been trying to do since early February. This could be this could be it. We'll see. Who's Fubo? That's you, Pete. That's me. Yeah, we, we had some call buying in there. The stock's been absolutely beaten down. And when I see a little bit of that elevation of the call buying makes yep. me start to think, you know what? Scratching my head. I'm going to jump on okay. that as well. So right. I'm in the calls there. Good stuff. Yep. Good to see everybody. I'll see you again in overtime. I'll send it to the exchange. I think I know what they're going to be talking about. Kel? You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.